Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you because you are there with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God in us. God who surrounds us with his mercy, with his goodness, with his love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Even this night we surrender our hearts, our minds, our hearing, everything before thee, Lord. Speak to us. Enlighten us. Show us. Feed us. Strengthen us. You alone, we confess, have the words of life. You alone. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We go to the first two verses for tonight and then go and see how far we can cover. Luke twenty four forty nine. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of New Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. And Acts chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 8. For John truly baptized with water and you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay? Keep that at the back of your mind. This is the last injunction or the last command Jesus gave his church, gave his disciples before leaving. This was the last command. He says, wait, tarry, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when he comes, you will have power. So if you look at Romans 8.11, we understand what is normal Christianity. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay. According to the word of God, scriptures, you and I have the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And therefore, he says, we can do the same works he did. It's the same spirit. The issue here, when we, today we are dealing with the Holy Spirit, okay, we will be dealing with the Holy Spirit probably for the whole of next year too. Okay? The issue is the same as the word. Not how much word we know, but how much of the word we know, we believe and obey? Because there are scholars who know the entire word. But it doesn't make, basically make much of a difference. What makes is how much of that we know we believe. And to we obey. Okay. And sometimes more than believing in the obedience that matters. Sometimes even if you obey without fully believing, you still see things happening. So we saw on Sunday the faith that leads to obedience. Genuine faith always has to lead to obedience. In the same token, it is not like we would like to say how much we have of the Holy Spirit, but how much of us the Holy Spirit has. 
Okay, it's not how much of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we see manifestations of power and we think, boy, he must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily, okay? It's not how much of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or apparent outwardly how much of the Holy Spirit we seem to have. That is not the point, just like the word. It is how much of us does the Holy Spirit has. When it comes to the word, or the Holy Spirit, the key operative word is surrender. We have looked at the word that is Jesus Christ in detail. We will never exhaust it. In this life or eternity, we will be continuing our study and learning more about Jesus. We see from scriptures that everything God has ever done or will do, he has done and will do by his word. We saw the end of creation, this creation, when Jesus comes in Revelation 19 and verse 13. We see he was clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. When he puts down the Antichrist in Second Thessalonians 2.8, we see when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. It is still by the word and the spirit that comes out of his mouth. We know from Psalm 119 verse 89, scripture says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Yes, God used 40 plus men to write his word. But he did not make his word suit the personality of a man. No, he made a certain type of personality to suit his word. Okay, please never ever think that the word is different because different people wrote it. No, the word is the same forever. It is settled in heaven. But how was it given? In Second Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Why? For prophecy never came by the will of man, but the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy means the entire word of God is prophecy, prophetic. Scripture here says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now we are coming to the Spirit. The entire word of God is being breathed literally by the Holy Spirit. Moved here actually also means breathed upon by the Holy Spirit. The eternal word of God, which was forever settled in the heavens, was given to holy men of old as the Holy Spirit breathed the word of God into them and upon them. Therefore, the Holy Spirit always accompanies the word of God. The word of God alone is never the answer. Okay? Learning under the unction of the Holy Spirit is the answer. The word of God has to be learned under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Teaching and preaching and learning under the anointing is the answer. That's why 1 John chapter 2 verse 20. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
For the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And our little children abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What does it mean? The Holy Spirit speaks to the outside through his word. Okay, He speaks to the inside, to the hearer. That's why we need both. When he speaks through a preacher, the preacher has to depend upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach. He can teach on his own or he can depend upon the anointing to teach. The hearer has to depend upon the anointing to understand. Otherwise it just becomes an academic end exercise. Much of our study of the word of God actually becomes of no effect is that we do not actually surrender to the Holy Spirit in either teaching or learning. That's why Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of God of glory may give it to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The prayer is that, you know, that we receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation continuously. Who? The God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. So that we may know him, God better, through the word, through the Holy Spirit. Remember, never never forget the purpose. Jesus is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and we stop there. But that's not what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father. Okay? At the end, the destination is God. So that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give it to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Jesus is the way. The Holy Spirit is the guide or the teacher so that we understand God the Father. Without the Holy Spirit... Our study will become like another academic pursuit. In universities we had professors who taught from the book of Job and the Psalms. It is very good study, academic brilliance. Okay, but we do not hear it the way we hear at church. Okay, brilliant because it's an another academic in most literatures, higher levels, old days, I don't know whether it is still there. There were certain books from the Bible which was prescribed as text. One was the book of Job. Echo was prescribed. Some of the Psalms were prescribed because they considered excellent, excellent literary text. Okay. But it was an academic exercise. When you are studying the book of Psalms in a, in a university, you do not see Jesus as the way or the Holy Spirit as your guide leading you to the Father. Please understand that. Okay. So, when we study the Word of God, when you hear the word of God, if it has to make sense to us, become life, it is only possible through the Holy Spirit. The flesh will profit nothing otherwise. We can come regularly to church for 10 years and the flesh profits nothing because the word is put to us as life through the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 6, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh Prophets, nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Who gives life? It's the spirit. 
Jesus, my words are spirit and life. If you want to receive life from it, it is the spirit who gives the life. That's why God keeps on saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Holy Spirit. If you grieve and quench the Holy Spirit and He chooses to stay away, then you can read and meditate, memorize, do anything with the word. The flesh will profit nothing. It will not work. So please remember, the Holy Spirit, though He's called a teacher, He's not just a teacher. Because teachers work for a salary. Right? At the end of the day, if you don't learn, he still gets his salary. I still got my salary when I was a teacher in the system. I always got my salary. It didn't matter whether they studied or not. My job was to do my best and I always got my salary. So Holy Holy Spirit is called a teacher, but he's not just a teacher. Okay, The Holy Spirit is different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, scripture says, Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Okay? When the Pharisees, the scribes, they all read the law, a veil covered their face. The word they read never became life for them. It never became life for them. Veil covered. The reason, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord. First is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The minute they surrendered to the word of God and accepted the authority of the word of God in their lives and then what does it say in verse 17? Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. They had to turn to Jesus When they accepted the Lordship of Jesus Christ, suddenly the very word they read, just the Old Testament itself, it's not the Old New Testament, because the New Testament hasn't even come in there. The Old Testament brought liberty, because the word becomes life. Because now you can move from an academic relationship with the word of God to a living relationship to the word through the spirit. When the Lordship of the Holy Spirit is established, remember, there is liberty. Then, it doesn't even stop there. Then the Holy Spirit will lead us to deeper truths in the, hidden in the Word of God. First Corinthians chapter 2 says, For as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Where it is? Where is it? It's in the Word of God. It's hidden in the Word of God. Who brings it? But the God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The deep things of God, it is all here. Okay, this is milk and meat. It's all here. The only way you and I will ever know the deep things of God is through the Spirit. Only through the Spirit. He will go beyond the surface and keep on going to the deeper things of God hidden in the word of God. That is why this pursuit should not be an academic pursuit. It should be for a deeper life. Deep calls unto deep. Okay, The Holy Spirit will very clearly know when I am studying the word of God, if I am studying for knowledge or for life. He knows it. Whether it is mechanical, everybody, you know, all of us, when we were good Christians, we were very disciplined. We got up in the morning, we prayed, we read our word. But the Holy Spirit also knew we were not looking for life. It was just a discipline. 
know. And he's looking for surrender to the word. He's looking for surrender to the spirit before he can lead us to deeper things. And he will not otherwise. So the key with the word, that is Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, is surrender and obedience. Every step a believer takes on that narrow way is the way of surrender to the word and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit lead us? Okay, simple. First, he gives us a book of instructions. That's this. Okay. I mean, also telling my wife when people call to pray and also been quietly asking when people call to pray because people call and keep on calling, keep on calling for prayer. And I ask them, do you read your word regularly? And often the answer is no. No. What's the point of prayer? What's the point of prayer? How long will you pray? First the Holy Spirit has given a book of instructions. He will never go contrary to his own book. This is his book. The Spirit breathed upon holy men of old and they wrote as the Holy Spirit moved them. This is his book about his son, Jesus Christ. When we, we never have to seek his will concerning something that is clear in this Bible. First, it is a book of instructions. General instructions for everyone. The Bible is general instruction for every believer. Right? What is Bible? Somebody said it is basic instructions before leaving earth. Basic instruction for everybody. So you don't have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit for something that is already very clear and apparent in the Bible. Should I marry this one if he or she is an unbeliever? Don't even ask the question and expect an answer. He said, it's there. It's like going to the class and saying after having studied for two years, is two plus two still four? It is always four. It doesn't become 4.1 after two years. Truth never changes. There are certain things, general instructions you never have to ask. You don't have to pray and ask, but it's already there, general instruction. But once we are obedient to the general instructions, he leads us to the specific. If we are not obedient to the general instructions of God, we will always struggle to find the specific. And the problem is, people struggle with the specific. Lord, what do you want me to do? God says, did you go to church? Uh, I was busy. Good. I was also busy at church. Who was busy at church? God was busy at church while we were busy somewhere else. Did you pray? No, I didn't pray. Did you read your Bible? No. Did you obey the general instructions? At least try to keep the general instructions. Before God can lead us to this specific. The, like simple example. The word of God will tell everyone. The great commission. Go and preach the gospel. Right? But the word of God doesn't tell you which country, which place you are supposed to preach. That only the Holy Spirit will tell you. That is specific. 
the other is general. Go, the great commission, to the ends of the nations and make disciples of all nations. That's general. But do you know where to go? If you are not obedient to the general, you will miss out on the specific. So what do people do? They miss out on the specific and they go where they like. If I go where I like, I will never be in Hyderabad. I will be in Bhutan. I would never come back. Never. Doesn't matter how much I love you, I don't love the city. I love the people. I don't love the city at all. I hate cities. I will never know the specific. I know the general. And you know, because I don't know the specific, I will take the general and then I will go according to my flesh. But what happens? I could serve for 10, 15 years and have missed out on the will of God because I missed out on the leading of the Holy Spirit. General and the specific. That is why surrender to the word and the spirit both are necessary. There are many good Christians who have surrendered to the word of God and obeyed the general instructions. But they are not used of God simply because they will not hear or heed the voice of the Holy Spirit. They will not. Some may be or many of them are just like good Hindus and good Muslims. There are good Christians also. The second category, good Christians, good Muslims, good Hindus. But they are not born of the Holy Spirit. They are good Christians, but they are not born of the Holy Spirit. What we don't realize when we study scripture is everything that God does, He does through the word and He only does through His spirit. There is nothing from the beginning till the end God will do outside of the word and His spirit. His word and His spirit is involved in everything equally. Everything. From the beginning till all of eternity, there is nothing God will do apart of His Spirit. In John chapter 3 verses 1 to 7, what we see is a good religious man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Three times Jesus uses the term born again. Which now we use it so lightly and carelessly. Please understand, the new birth is not a change of nature. Not just a change of nature. It is not the old nature changed into new. It's much more than that. The word born again comes from that Greek word which means from the first or from the beginning. It could also mean the one who was from the beginning is born in you. 
Revelation 22:13 tells us who is the beginning. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What it means to be born again is not that we are born again, it is Christ is born in us. That is why scripture says we are born by water, the word of God and the spirit. Who is born in us is the Christ who was from there in the beginning. This also means eternity has entered into us. That is why John 3.16 says, Whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And what is eternal life? John 17.3 says, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Jesus said you can never know God apart from me. Meaning the one who was from the beginning has been born into us. Now we start understanding God. Because he is the one who was from the beginning with the Father. That is what actually it means to be born again. And when this really, really happens, which happens, but when we really understand what we happens, there are two things that is going to happen. Either we are going to be very happy or we are going to be very miserable. Going to be very happy or very miserable. The reason, our primary struggle is this. Either our ignorance of the truth or our refusal to accept this truth. Because when we read, you must be born again, we think we are born again. It is he who is born in us. The new creation in us is new to us. But was there from the beginning. The Alpha and the Omega. That's why God tells the prophet, even before you're formed in your mother's womb, I, I knew you. How does God know me even before I'm formed in my mother's womb? What does it mean? Meaning I was there in the beginning. I was there in the beginning. And who is there at the beginning? It is Jesus who is there in the beginning. So if Jesus is born in me, God says, I knew you from the beginning. I knew you from the beginning. Our old nature, what we call the flesh, is actually not fighting the new man. It is fighting the Christ in us. It is a daily, deadly struggle unto death. Understand this. Only one can live and survive at the end. Only one can. Either Christ lives or I live. When I talk about the I, it's the old man. Both can't, ultimately. Jesus makes it clear over and over again. And the disciples could not understand it. Over and over again. John chapter 12 verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies it produces much grain. Unless it falls to the ground and. It dies. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to 24, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, follow me. For whoever decides to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He says it's one of these two. Either I live, you die, 
or you live and I die. There are no two options in this. It is progressive, but there is no options in this. This is what Paul actually means in Galatians 2.20. He says that I might, no, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now he has reached that pinnacle. Okay, he's reaching that pinnacle. He started as a baby. Christ has started as a baby in him, but Christ is growing in him. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, it's Christ who is living in me. This is what the truth about the new creation is. But how does Paul achieve his goal? The key he gives us in Philippians 3.10. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. His order is completely turned around, not the way we think. First he says, it is impossible for us to do this. It's not possible to live this life. I want to know Christ first. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. And the first thing I want to know him is the power of his resurrection. This is a life that can be lived only by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. You cannot live this life. It will make you miserable. If you try to live this life with knowledge and understanding alone and try to obey in your flesh, he said, it is not possible. First, what do I want to know him? I want to know the power of his resurrection. We'll have to come back to this, okay? So what does Paul say in Ephesians? He says in Ephesians, yeah, the next one. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What is this exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? He says, if you believe, the very power of the Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus up from the dead, resurrected him, is available for every one of us. He says, that's what I want to know first. In Philippians he says, that is what I want to know first. I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Otherwise, it is impossible. After having known the power of his resurrection, I want the fellowship of his sufferings. I don't want the fellowship of his sufferings without knowing the power of his resurrection because I'll be finished. I'll be miserable, I'll quit, I will run. I know I cannot do it. But first I want to know the power of his resurrection, the very power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. Once I know the power, then I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. What are his sufferings? What is he talking about? Until I am confirmed to his death. We're not talking about the death on the cross. We're not talking about his death on the cross. That is atonement. We don't die for somebody else's sins. We cannot. It's only Jesus. He says, I have to be conformed to his death, the way he lived on earth. Let's look what he means. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about Jesus and says that's the model. The first thing he tells us is in John 1.14, Jesus was the word and he became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was Jesus? He was the word. He was born. The word was born among us in the flesh. How was he born? The word became flesh. Luke chapter 1. 
The next verse, 35. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. How was he born? By the Spirit. So he is the Word, born of the Spirit. And God says, that's exactly what he does with us. He was the Word, born in the Spirit, walked among us in the flesh. Living in an incredibly sinful world. He has two choices. Either give in to the temptations and live in the flesh. Or die to self and obey to the will of the Father through the Holy Spirit daily. Two choices like every one of us has. He doesn't have the third choice which we have. That we can fall, rise up, repent and turn. He can't, he has that, he doesn't have third choice. We have choice one, two, three. He has only two choices. Either be tempted, fall, or die daily and live to the will of the Father. So he chose two. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses because in all points he was tempted. See, his temptation is different from Adam and Eve's. Adam and Eve are created like him, perfect, in a perfect environment where there is no temptation. There's no temptation. There's only one law. Scripture says when the law comes, sin is about. God said don't eat, then immediately you're looking, why can't I eat? That's the only one thing. Now he's coming in the human flesh, born of the word, born of the spirit, come in the human flesh, but outside now sin is there in all its manifestations, unlike the Garden of Eden. Therefore he's tempted at all points. All points. It was not just one fruit of the tree, everything of evil is available under the Roman age. He's tempted at all points, yet he's without sin. And how did he overcome? This is the suffering he's going through. How did he overcome? Through the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. In the days of his flesh. He was tempted in the flesh at all points. But in the days of his flesh, when he had offered a prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Does Romans says that exactly that's the way the Holy Spirit prays through us? According to the will of God with groans that cannot be uttered. That's how he's praying through the Spirit. He's praying through the Spirit, though he was a son. He's praying and crying out in the Spirit saying, Father, I have come for one purpose, to live your life, not my life. And he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. That's a suffering, what he's talking about. He says, I want to be fellowship of his sufferings. But I cannot do it in this flesh. I know I can do it only through the power of the resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to know, want that first. And then I want to fellowship in his suffering. The suffering daily of fighting my will and God's will. To do God's will. We are called to the same. Christ is birthed in us. When Christ is birthed in us, it is the end of us. The old self. The Holy Spirit is given to us as it was given to Christ. But the key is this. Jesus was increasing in the Spirit till he was filled without measure. Don't think when Jesus was born, what he had of the Holy Spirit is what he had at 30. 
At 30 he is filled. Overflowing. But there is a rider in Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. We are his witnesses to these things. So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit is given in proportion to our obedience. The more we obey, the more of the Spirit we receive. Because when we have obeyed till class 1, we get the Spirit for class 2. Why? Because God is going to push you further and further. When you have learned to love your own, He gives you the Holy Spirit to love those who are not your own. When you have learned to love those who are not your own, He gives you love to love your enemies. And you don't love your own, why should He give you love to love your enemies? He will first love your own. Lord, I want to overcome and love my enemies. He said, yeah, I saw you at home. At every level, at every level, we need the Spirit. Okay. That's the key. How did Jesus know what he was supposed to do? How did he know? Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. What is he saying? Think for a minute. Why is God not interested in sacrifice and offerings? Why? Sacrifices and offerings only dealt with the life of the old man. And God is not interested in the old man. He's interested in Christ. He said, I'm not interested. Though a reverse of blood was flowing for hundreds and hundreds of years, he said, Jesus understood. God is not interested in sacrifice and offerings. Because it is still the life of the old man. Even the law, even the keeping of the law did not interest God. Why? What was the purpose of the law? Galatians 5 and verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. If the law does not bring you to Christ, God is not interested how much of the law you keep. The Pharisees kept the law, but that law never brought them to Christ. They rejected Christ. So does the keeping of the law please the Father? No, it doesn't. He's only interested in one person. He's only interested in Christ. He's not interested in man. Because man, after he has fallen, cannot please God. His sacrifice doesn't please God. His offerings doesn't please God. Keeping of the law also doesn't please God. He's only interested in Christ. And Christ's first statement is that, what have I come for? I've come for one purpose. I've come to do your will, O God. So to all who are born of the word and the spirit, one command alone is given at the end. What is it? Wait. Okay, JB? Tarry until you receive power from above, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Question is, how long are you supposed to tarry? Until you receive. Until you receive. He says, you know what? You cannot do this. You cannot do this without my spirit. You cannot. 
do this without my spirit. And you have to continually be filled with my spirit if you are ever going to please the Father. Because then it is the life of Christ lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember the context, the Lord's Prayer, okay? Luke, not in Matthew, but Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, place when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. They were listening to his prayer. And one thing they knew, probably, definitely, his prayer was different from theirs. They were all praying people. They were all under the law. They all knew how to pray. But they did not know how to pray like him. Because they knew his prayer was animated by the Holy Spirit. So they are looking at him and says, you know what, your prayer is different. Teach us to pray. Okay. Instead, he gives them the principle that makes his prayer different. He doesn't actually teaching them to pray. He's giving them the principle which makes his prayer different and powerful. He says, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is heaven. He says, this is the key. You want your prayer life to change? Then understand this. His will should be primary in your life. And then, give us day by day our daily bread. He says, don't worry about provision. If you if you put provision before your nose, you will never fulfill God's purpose. You'll never. You'll be running and chasing provision. You'll never. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Simple. It looks very, very simple. It is not simple. You look at that prayer, honestly you look at that prayer, and you realize, I cannot live this life. This simple prayer encompasses the life of Christ. And I cannot live this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. How do I hallow your name? How do I keep your will in my life? How do I bring you glory? How do I really trust you day by day for provision? How do I forgive everyone the way you have forgiven me? How do I walk away from temptation? How am I delivered from the power of the evil one? And you realize it is impossible. It's impossible without the spirit. Absolutely. You realize this is dynamite. This is not just a prayer you mumble every day, every Sunday. This is real, powerful. So read the next. What does he say? Go to verse 5. And he said to him, suddenly from prayer, he's telling them, he said to them, which of you shall have a friend go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to say. See, he didn't give complicated examples like I give from Shakespeare and Vijay gives from Robotics because they wouldn't have understood it. Because they're simple fishermen and also he had to give them examples which they understood. He says, think about it, some friend came. Okay. Has come. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give it to you. I say to you, there, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Why did he give? Because of his persistence. And then, Verse 8. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. But what does it mean? You have to be persistent until you get it. Don't give up. You have to be persistent until 
you get it. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking until the door is open to you. Does he stop there? Listen to where he goes from there. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Is if then, you being, you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Where does he begin? Where does he end? He says, you know what? You have to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking persistently until you receive the Spirit and in full measure. And then you can, this prayer will become life. There is no other way. He says, this is the way. Knowledge of the word is good. That alone is not enough. He says, without the Spirit, you can do nothing. This is where the division comes. We saw last Wednesday the division. Little children, young men, and fathers. Does this have to do with age? Physical age? No. Not necessarily. This has got nothing to do with physical children. I mean, does that mean when Paul, John is writing little children, he's talking about Nathaniel and Sarah and all of them running around like that? No. Zera. No, he's not talking about little children. He's talking about adults who are little children, adults who are young men, and adults who are fathers. There are fathers Who are young. There are little children who are old. I'll show you examples from the scripture. Galatians 2.11 When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him in his face because he was to be blamed. Two people here. One is Peter. The other is Paul. Okay. Matthew 8.14 I'm sorry. Did I give you Matthew 8.14? Yes. When Jesus had come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with fever. So we know. Jesus called Peter. Peter was married. He's got a mother-in-law, so he has to be married. Right? He's married, so definitely he's a middle-aged man, probably older than Jesus. He's in his late 30s, 40s, whatever, when Peter is called. Years later, three and a half years later, many years later, more than that, in Acts chapter 7, 58, when we see Paul first, they cast him out of the city, stoned him, and the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's a young man. Peter is a middle-aged man. When the incident in written in the book of Galatians happens, Peter is an old man. Paul is a younger man. But who is the father? Paul is the father. Why? Because he allowed Christ to grow in him. He allowed Christ to grow in him. Let me give you an example. Okay. You have the, the only way Christ can grow in us is not just through the study of the Word of God. It is by the surrender to the Spirit of God. That's why Scripture says, "Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty." Study of the Word of God only gives us knowledge, and the knowledge makes us miserable. We have to surrender to the Word, and we find it so difficult to surrender to the Word because we do not have the power of the Spirit. But for the power of the Spirit, we have to surrender to the Spirit too. This example was given by an old-time pastor, dead and gone. This is how we put it about the Holy Spirit. He says, think about a widow with three children. Three young children. A widow with three young children. And she finds this nice man and gets married again. Her new husband came to live in with her and the children. They all live in the same house. He's a nice man. He provided for them 
he comforted them he taught them they received all this but one thing the children did not do they did not accept him as a father the head of the house the day they realized this and accepted him everything changed in the home did he change no the family changed let me get to what i am trying to put across jesus died for the sins of the whole world that's why christmas time he came whenever the actual christmas was those who believed and accepted him as their savior when they did the holy spirit came the holy spirit came so the first command of the risen savior the first command not the last command the first command of the risen savior is this in john chapter 20 and verse 22 the first command of the risen savior is receive the holy spirit receive him accept him receive the holy spirit last command of the risen savior acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me john truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit you have received he's telling them you have received the holy spirit that's not enough tarry until you are immersed in the holy spirit first you accept him second you completely surrender to him this is the christian life the fact is that in many of us the holy spirit is still living like a stepfather we have not accepted him we rarely talk to him we rarely listen to him we really make him comfortable though he comforts us he teaches us we don't give the lordship of our life into his hands he is the third person of the trinity that doesn't mean he is the third he is equal to the father and the son god says receive him as a person first accept him as a person that's the first command receive the holy spirit he can breathe but they have to receive God's Christ job is to breathe on us our job is to receive the holy spirit accept him second tarry and ask and keep asking and keep asking until he fills us fills us and even when he fills us don't stop until you know control has been transferred control has been transferred into his hands we can have the holy spirit and control be still in our hands we can have the holy spirit and no control has been transferred into his hands that is the pattern in the old and the new testament the prophetic vision seen by ezekiel 47:1 to 6 and verse 12 he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing down from the under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the front of the temple faced the east the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar he brought me out by the way of the north gate and he led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east and there was water running out on the right side <clears throat> 
When the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Then he measured 1,000, brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water, came up to my waist. Again he measured 1,000. It was a river I could not cross. I could not cross. The water was too deep. Water in which one must swim a river that could not be crossed. When you come to this, control has shifted. Control has shifted. Control has gone over. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me back to the river. Then you see in verse 12, scripture says, Along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. The leaves will not wither and the fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because the water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and the leaves for medicine. This is the final vision John also will see in Revelation 22 verses 1 to 5. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it. His servant shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. The same vision. What is he talking about? He's talking about the people who have allowed Christ to reach the fullness in them. Where the Holy Spirit has complete control. Remember, that is our goal and that is not a pleasing goal to the self. The self wants to do a lot of things. That's what I said. The message the actual gospel can either make you excited or miserable. That's why God says, even if you love your own life, you cannot. You can be saved, but you will never finish your course. You'll never finish your course. This was the cry of Jesus in John chapter 7, 37 to 30. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this is spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. God is saying in eternity there will be one set of people, through different generations, who understood this. And will allow the Holy Spirit complete control at some point. Allow Christ to live through them. And they collectively are called the bride of Christ. That is why when the Bible ends, the bride joins in this prophetic exhortation in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say now, come, let him who hears say, come, let him who thirsts come. Who are desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Only the Holy Spirit can do the work of Christ in us. As only the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, Christ did the work of the Father. He lived that life fully, totally surrendered to the will of God, his Father. 
the bride of Christ will live on earth gradually but ultimately surrender to the will of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. Otherwise we will remain as little children. Or we will remain as young men. What is mentioned about the fathers in that letter? They have known him from the beginning. What does it be born again mean? To be born from the the one who was from the beginning. The fathers have known him from the beginning. They understood. This is not about me. This is not about my life. This is not about what I like. This is not about my comfort. This is about him. And it is going to cost me to allow Christ to live. Therefore the epistle to Ephesians is specifically written for this purpose. But remember, all the instructions which are actually from chapter 3 to 6 has no meaning unless we understand the fundamentals of salvation. The complete perfects where he can save us to the uttermost in Ephesians 2. Verses 4 to 6. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. We were never made alive separately. We were made alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Understand the fundamental principle in verse 6. The bride is one set of people who have come to the unity of faith in love. The key word is together. Made us sit. First he raised us up together. Made us sit together. The self fights against this. The spirit fights for this. So what is the key word when the apostolic church began in Acts chapter 1 verse 14? They all joined together constantly. In prayer, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. How is the apostolic? Holy Spirit hasn't come. The instruction is, stay together. Until the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord in one place. And the Holy Spirit comes. And then... They hear the message. The rest of the people hear the message. 3,000 get saved. They are baptized. And then what does scripture talk about them in Acts chapter 2? Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. It's not that they did not have private property. But they did not think about it as private property. Okay, They had all things in common. And verse 4 to 6. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The first thing God says is that in Ephesians 2, He raised us up together and seated us together. That is the key. Together. The first key is, you understand, I cannot live my life for myself anymore. That's the old man. 
The old man wants to live his life for himself. Even in a marriage, he wants to live his life for himself. The first thing you understand when the Holy Spirit comes and you surrender to the word and the spirit is that I cannot live my life for myself anymore because Christ never lives his life for himself. This is what the enemy attacks and the Holy Spirit strives for. Ephesians 2, 6. We are seated, raised us up together, made us sit together. Second truth, in heavenly places, but not along with Christ Jesus. We are not seated along with Christ Jesus. We are seated together in Christ Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Christ. We are seated together in Christ Jesus. That is why on earth we are called his body. That is why Philippians 2, 5 says we have his mind. That's why in John 14 and verse 12, scripture says we are called to do his works. I did these works, you will do greater works. We are both doing the works of the Father. That's why in John 15 and verse 12, we are called to love as he loves. And in John 13 and verse 15, we are called to do as he has done. But how does this all happen? It happens in John 20 and verse 21 when we are sent as he was sent. How was he sent? Born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and he was sent. So he says, as the Father sent me, I sent you. When the Father sent him, filled with the Spirit, on earth he lived the life of the Father. He didn't live his own life. He had a will of his own. He had the flesh, tempted at all points, but he decided, I am going to live another one's life. Father, you have given a body. For this purpose I came, to do your will. Now the church rises up and says the same thing. Says, Lord, I have come to do your will. Through all generations, God will always will have a set of people who ultimately, completely surrender to the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled. We have to remain being filled. That's what Ephesians is all about. Ephesians 5 verses, See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit continuously. He says don't waste time. Don't waste time. Don't get distracted. You have to understand what the will of God is. But you can understand what the will of God is if we choose to be continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the problem with the filling of the Holy Spirit is it demands surrender. Because we all like to do a lot of other things. And Christ likes to do something else. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And words, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. God says, you know what, when you fill continuously with the Holy Spirit, it will affect your conversation. 
We put psalms and songs for worship service. God says, when you are continually filled with the Holy Spirit, you like, that's what I said, for me the book of Acts is the eye-opener, the scene in the prison at Philippi. When they were beaten, they were singing. Why? Because they were speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because they were filled with the Holy Spirit in the prison. The conversation, the language, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says the filling of the Holy Spirit will manifest. It will show. You can know. You can know. In all our situations, God says, the Spirit will always sing. It will always sing. Because it is Christ in us who is the hope of our glory. We are not able to sing because we don't have much hope of glory. Because Christ is Chinna Papa. What hope does Chinna Papa have? Nothing. If you tell him ice cream is coming, he will start singing. But if Christ grows in you, then you will start see the hope of your glory. What was the hope of Christ's glory? Scripture says Christ endured the cross, the shame and the, the, the horror of the cross and the joy that was set before him. What did he see? The bride. He saw the bride. There is nothing in eternity that he did not have other than this. He had everything else. Only thing he did not have is his bride. What did the bride see? She sees Christ. And she's willing to go through it all because on the other side she realizes, I got him. I got him. I got him. That is the hope of our glory. It is Christ who is the hope of the glory. If Christ is little in us, then our hope is all connected with other things. People get started. Every day I hear, I'm getting upset because my marriage is not taking place. Or job. Or a sickness. Look, I mean, I'm, I'm this, it's, it's all natural, okay? But natural to the natural man. The natural man. But we have to progress. Go further. And further. And move on. In Romans 5, 5, he says all that suffering and everything. Now hope does not disappoint us. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? It's like Rebecca. Every time Eliezer speaks to her, her heart is overflowing with love for Isaac whom she had seen, not seen. He hears and hears and hears. It's overcome. We think this love of God is for the people. No, it is for Christ. Christ is filling your heart with love for him. These are the people who are able to sing He is the fairest of 10,000, the lily of the valley. For us it's a song. For them it's not a song. Not a song. It's reality. Ask. I went to Bangalore. Vishal said, my baby is the sweetest. I came to Hyderabad. Abel said, my baby is the sweetest. Why? Reason? Did you see? In his eyes, this is the fairest of 10,000. 
Because his heart is filled with love for that little one, right? God says, this is what happens. This is what happens. That is the hope. Christ in us. If Christ is matured in us, reaches maturity in us, then the Old Testament prophecy will become a reality. It's there in Old and New Testament. If you see it in the KJV version, Psalm 17 and verse 15, not NIV, KJV version. I don't know how it was in NKJV. Okay, the next one, Psalm 17 and verse 15. For me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. When I awake, I awake with your likeness. And 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Perfected. Love is perfected. As he is, we are in this world. How was he in this world? How was he in this world? For this purpose I came. A body you gave me, O Lord, to do thy will. As he is. So you and I are going to live our lives. And we are going to use the Holy Spirit for that. We are going to be miserable. Or if we learn to surrender daily and allow the Holy Spirit to let Christ live his life through us. Then that is the original Christmas. A body you prepared for me. Here I am. I have come to do your will. We can also decide what our Christmas can be. A body you gave me, and I want to do your will, O God. And we realize it's only through the Spirit and no other way. And you read the book of Ephesians differently now. Husbands, as there's no other model given. No other model given. Wives, as Christ submitted to God. Children, obey your parents as Christ submitted to his parents. Employers, employees, obey your as Christ submitted to his first employer, his father, the carpenter. Employers, treat your employees with kindness and gentleness as Jesus treated his disciples. When I sent you without clock or bag, or sandal. Did you lack anything? No. Nothing. There's no other model. The Bible offers no other model. Because it is the life of Christ. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as an employee, as an employer, nothing else is given other than Christ. Because it is the life of Christ. And the life of Christ cannot be lived a part of the Holy Spirit. And we try to do it, we will be miserable. So this whole thing thing has been done by the Father in a such a way so that we are made miserable until we surrender. Until we surrender. There's a portion the scripture says, ultimately he will draw everything to him through Christ. That is what Christmas is all about. And that is what surrender is all about. And 2017, as we are coming towards 2017, that should be our prayer. Lord, yes, but I want to consecrate more everything. As I see everything now, I want to surrender. And I take my hands off my life. Just take my hands. You lead me. You lead me. 
If you keep the general, the specifics will become clear. If you don't keep the general, we will always worry about the specifics. And if you don't know the specifics, yes, we will be a good Christian. That doesn't mean we are a Christian who fulfilled the purpose of God in our lives because Christ was never allowed to mature. Christ was just a child. And the only thing that can be told us all our life is children keep away from idols. And second thing, Antichrist is coming. Police are high. Nothing more. What can you tell? Can't tell anything more. What can you tell children? Nothing. But to young men, they will pray powerful prayers. Mighty prayers. And they overcome the evil one. It's perfect. But that still doesn't mean you have known the father from the beginning. You have to even go beyond that. Without giving up on anything. Don't give up the child part. Don't give up the young part. But you have to go. You have, cannot give any of these things. That also has to be there. You have to be always be like a child before God so they can enjoy that. You always have to be like a young man. But you also have to grow up to that maturity which Christ Jesus expects from us. That only happens through surrender because it is not our life. It is His life. And all our struggles is basically we realize it's our life. It's our life. And we are not fighting the old man. We are fighting Christ. The old man is not fighting the new man. He is fighting Christ. The Christ in us. That is the hope of our glory. There's no other hope. There's no other. Our hope is not in our works. It's not hope in not in our ministry. It's not like the last testimony of Mother Teresa after probably being one of the most blessed people, blessing on earth for millions. What I saw this thing? Last testimony of the days and the years of darkness when she never heard from God. A personal priest with whom she confessed. That's his record. Days of darkness. Never heard from God. Why? What is your hope? Your ministry? Your work? No. Your only hope is Christ. That's our hope. If Christ hasn't grown, we don't have much hope. We have hope of being saved. Why do we have hope of being saved? Because we believed in Christ. Not because of anything we did. We believed in Christ and his work, so we know if I die, I will go. That's the only hope. Even that is on Christ. Any further hope, everything is built on Christ. On Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else. Amen? So, next week after Sunday, Monday to Saturday, we'll be gathering. We'll be at the church office. Pastor Vijay and I will be there. We will get all of you are free. Make time. Come over. We'll spend time preparing for 2017. I'll give you the promise on Sunday the 1st. 2016 was the rise and fall of many. 2017 is going to be the overflow for those who believe. For those who believe. And it doesn't matter whether you're young or old. It will be the year of overflow. If you believe, Jesus said, rivers of living water shall flow. You just have to believe and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just come to you. We come to you because, Father, because of Christ, not because of anything else. 
we have the boldness to come to you because of the Christ in us. You will never reject Christ. If we are seated in Christ, we can always come boldly, confidently to you, even tonight. And we just surrender. Once again tonight, we surrender to you, Father. We surrender to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, tonight we surrender to you, Holy Spirit. We want to make you accepted in our lives. We want to surrender our lives into the hands, Spirit of God. You were there as our comforter. You were there as our counselor. You were there through it all. But we really never acknowledged you, the Lordship of our lives. Spirit of God, take over, Lord. Guide us. Show us where you are, Lord. There is liberty. Take over in our lives. Take over our homes. Take over our ministries. Take over our church. It's all yours. All yours. If you are there, then there is no no shadow of turning. There is no fear. It's always a song. Even the worst of situations, there is a song. Because the life of Christ will overflow. We want that life, Lord. We hunger and thirst for more of that life. Even tonight, be with us. Continue speaking to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.